Welcome to this episode of The Square. My name is Poonam Schallenberger, and I'm here with James Adams, Vice President in our commercial sector, and Stephen Lohr, Vice President in our commercial sector as well, and the Director of our multifamily practice. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. James, do you want to tell us a little bit about Corgan's commercial expertise and what you do? Sure. Um, so I'm part of the commercial sector. Our focus has been traditionally on offices, large build-to-suit campuses. But one of the interesting things about the commercial sector is we do a range of project types. So we've been involved in, uh, through the years, all kinds of um, not-for-profit centers, anti-violence centers. Um, we've done radio stations. We've done multifamily work through the past, which we're obviously here to talk about today. Um, and I've been part of the studio for, this is my 18th, going to my 19th year actually this week. And uh, my focus is actually adaptive reuse projects. When I started at Corgan, I worked on multifamily projects in downtown Fort Worth, taking old 1920s buildings and turning them into condominiums. Very cool. And Stephen, you're charged with heading up our multifamily studio. I am. Right? Yes. You want to tell us a little bit about your role and your your kind of vision for the studio? Sure. So um, the, the role for me right now is to kind of help reignite multifamily here at Corgan. Um, as James said, there's been some really great work that's been done in the past, uh, adaptive reuse, uh, taking old buildings and, and reinvigorating them for, for residential use. And, and the idea here is that we take the projects that we have that are office, that are mixed use, that are, that are large master plans and, and dive into multifamily with those as well. Um, the true value of mixed use is live, work, play. And so we have not really focused on the live portion for a while. And the goal for me is to come in and help help us do that. Yeah, you, it's interesting you bring up the idea of not just multifamily, but mixed use, right? Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what multifamily can mean. Um, can you give us a little bit of background on kind of the evolution of multifamily housing and even housing sounds like a weird thing to say, given that it does so much more than that. Um, how, how has that kind of morphed over the decades and some of the misconceptions around density or the types of multifamily? Sure, it's really interesting. As, as you go into you know, city cores, um, multifamily is everywhere. We have apartment towers, class A, beautiful buildings. We've got podium buildings, some wrap buildings. But as we, we migrate out of city cores and we start going out into the suburbs, multifamily starts to become a lesser desirable thing to have you know, not in my backyard type stuff. And, and it almost becomes multi becomes a bad word sometimes. Yeah, yeah. that's American tradition, I think, to uh, hate on multifamily in, in certain market sectors, so, uh, or geography sectors. Um, we've had the opportunity, I think, a lot of our multifamily work in the past, which was spotty through the years, um, which we, we, you know, we really focused on multifamily during the uh, downturn in 01. It's one of the times when we really found a market in condominium work, which is something we're not pursuing now. We'll probably talk about that later. But um, the, the opportunity to take these older buildings and turn them into multifamily housing and do some ground up. We did some podium and some wrap projects. Um, we were fortunate to get to work on a lot more of these urban um, luxury type product types. So that's, that's something we'll want to get into, I'm sure, and talk about the difference Absolutely. between the, the luxury product type and maybe what we would consider more the garden style apartment, right? Something you're going to see more in the suburbs. Uh, where land is a little more available and there's a little more opportunity for sprawl and, and, a, and an effort to tie that product type into single-family residential in the area. I mean, and that goes to not just the density, but also the construction method of doing garden-style apartments. Yeah, and you know, overall heights and, and the typology from single-family to a townhome to a garden and the kind of gently flowing roof lines versus you know a tower sitting in the middle of a field is going to yeah. be obvious. Yeah. And 
in, in a downtown setting, it, it, it blends perfectly. I think one of the great things about the uh, opportunities that you've helped bring in the door and the relationships you've had and that we've been able to, to, to rekindle, uh, reignite, has been a lot of these are really class A type products. And so not only do you get that high quality opportunity, um, you're working with developers and contractors that are much more savvy, perhaps, that, that understand sure. a product type that's not too dissimilar from the class A office work we do. So that I think helps us to uh, push a little harder on the design and find those opportunities to be a little more innovative with our solutions for these products. And a lot of those products that you're saying class A products within an urban context, uh, you know, for, take Dallas for example, uh, and other major cities across the southwest and southeast where we're working, there's not a whole lot of land left in these urban areas. And so we're, we're, we're getting these sites that are tight or, or, or non-linear and, and, and we're having to adapt ideas on, you know, how do we make a great space and how do we make a great building, but doing it in a very constrained manner. So it, it sometimes, you know, becomes a challenge and developers who are taking those properties are, are savvy, as you said, and they're understanding that it's not going to be a simple box. And kind of allows us to do some design flex, which is really exciting. It is. I, I love, too, is that there's a lot of innovative thought on that because it's not just a traditional model or a certain uh, methodology to how you build these. And mm -hmm. when you have these denser sites and you're trying to provide amenities, and you and I were talking about this recently about an amenity that's, that most people in multifamily consider a given, but it's not always, is a pool. Right. Right. And how do you put a pool on some of these more dense urban sites? You know, do you put the pool on top of the top of the garage or do you have, have the pool or, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, pools on top of podiums. Do they sink down and flush, but then you lose all the parking? So you got to pick them up out of the ground, and then how do you make that a great experience? So then you you, you think about um, oh, we can only put the pool so far down, so it's going to stick up off the off the deck. Well, that can be a bonus, and and what ends up happening is you have this really beautiful seating ledge, so everybody can sit. If you're not in the pool, you sit on the edge, set down your drink, talk to people in the pool, and it makes for a, a lively environment around it. And so we take those things that could be seen as a negative, not being able to have an at-grade pool and make them a positive. It's like a different kind of dream, right? Like James, right. you mentioned earlier, this, it was this American dream to be able to go and have your single family home someplace. And I think now there's a there's another kind of vision and dream that some tenants have is I wanna, I wanna live here, I wanna come downstairs, go to work, I wanna find a community here and hang out with them at the pool. Sure, and you know, we're in a position right now, housing's tough. You know, buying a single family home for a lot of people is just not attainable. And they, even if they're making a, a nice living and, and, and have a great job. And so providing a community, a neighborhood within one of the multifamily buildings where they can have a great place, meet great people, have a nice apartment, mm -hmm. right, that has quality finishes, stainless steel appliances, you know, a, a really... Uh, pleasant experience for them is 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 wonderful and being able to provide that in some of the buildings that we're able to design is great yeah. any trends that you're seeing in terms of you know let me back up if if the if the trend and the vision and the dream if you will was to move away and have your single family home decades ago drive over there have your backyard what kind of dream or vision are you seeing now in these multifamily buildings, mixed-use uh, buildings? Mixed-use is the key. Mm -hmm. um, I think the dream, and James, you, you'll probably agree with this, the dream is to be able to have a place to live, walk downstairs, go grab a coffee, walk to go meet some friends for a bite to eat, come back, get some work done, hang out at the pool. It's, it's having everything available to you that you may have in, in a suburban context, but you don't have to get into a car and drive around right. to each yeah. of those things. It's all within your, you know, your immediate area. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
How are you seeing that come to life and be articulated in terms of design? Any design features that you're seeing become more popular and any that maybe are less important? I think it's interesting. We've seen this in office a lot, and I know we're seeing it in multifamily as well, is the need for outdoor amenities. They just continue to grow. What are you providing as far as rooftop terraces, decks, walking trails, dog parks, of course, pools, hot tubs, all those kind of things. But people are looking for those outdoor gathering spaces. They want to they want to see them. And I think we, you know one of the things we talk about a lot in multifamily is what is the sense of arrival for a new potential resident, and what are they seeing? You know, when you come into the apartment complex, right? You, you you come in, you want to have easy parking, you want to see the pool, you sure. want to see the gym, you want to see a really nice lobby. Um, the lease walk. Right. There that, you go. That's what there it's called. It's an important right, part because of they process. have to sell that dream too, right? They have to no. lease these units. Yeah, right? and usually, so. so you come into the lobby, you meet the agent. He or she takes you up the elevator to the very top, look at the beautiful view, let's go check out the amenities, look at our beautiful pool. You're right, it's all of those things and it's selling the dream. Yeah, you think about during um, what started, I think, or really grew a lot during the pandemic, uh, early parts of the pandemic was work from home, right? A lot of people working from home and, and there's very small contained spaces. And so I think one of the things we've all been very interested in is what are the trends that are actually gonna carry forward? Like what will actually remain with us as we do see some return to the office? Now, granted, that whole model of, of work from home has changed and, and put the office environment flipped on its, on its head. But it depends on what market you're in, right? But there are plenty of people who are going to continue to work from home or I mean, work from home part-time. And so they, they need access to these amenities. They want this. That's a, that's a really big part of this. There was a, I can't remember who I was conversation with about this. They were seriously concerned for the, for the, the working facilities, the uh, co-working facilities that, that are charging, you know, around the city because they feel like eventually every great apartment building, every great multifamily building is going to have a great co-working space. And so people are going to say, why would I go to, and I'm not, I won't use any names, but that place when I can go downstairs at my, in my place and it's got a lounge, it's got a bar, it's got a coffee service. And some of these buildings actually have in like, People come in and serve coffee and, and run a small coffee shop during the mornings, and then that converts over to a bar in the evenings. The amenities are incredible, and being able to provide that and deliver on that for people is kind of the new dream. You know, it's not a hundred percent the single-family home is a dream anymore. Right. It's it's an additional. But it's funny. It's option. and it's not a new idea, right? It's a new idea to us right now. Right. But what we know, it's it's not a new idea at all. And going back to your question about mixed use, uh, I think this is this is part of that. I mean, we talk about. The reason for the commercial team of Corgan to get back into multifamily is not only how hot the multifamily market is and is going to be for a very long time looking at uh, vacancies across the country, uh, but, but also as a part of our office component. Because when we're looking at master planning and developing large sites, new urbanist sites, you know, um, form-based code developments you know, in the suburbs that are looking for new, uh, maybe they're transit-oriented developments, maybe they're not. They're creating these master plans, maybe 100 acres, and they want to see office component, but they want to see the multifamily component. And so we have the expertise now to bring that mixed use in our master planning of getting the proper depths and densities and product types, because a large development of this nature may have several different product types of multifamily. We talked about podium or wrap, yeah. or may have a tower on it. I mean, we're working on a lot of those kind of projects right now together. The, the interesting part of what you just said, um, Historically, developers would come into a large mixed-use master plan concept, and the thought was, we got to get office and retail in there first, and then after that, after we have those established, then we'll put some multifamily in. And that's starting to shift. Now they're looking at a site, going, we got to have people here. We got to get the multifamily in first because we know we can lease it up because mm -hmm. the market's hot, and then we'll start deciding 
when to layer in the office and retail, which is a really different concept, at least for me, in, in you know the way that we've approached these things in the past. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I want to jump in real quick. I, you had asked about trends and things that we're seeing in mixed use and, and, in, and in urban cores. Live-work units are a super hot thing. What's a live-work unit? So imagine ground floor pedestrian access directly into your unit. So the typical multifamily product in a, in a downtown or, or urban area, you, you go, you drive, you park within the core, whether it's a wrap or the podium, you walk to the elevator, you go up to your unit. And, and that's still the majority of, of units. However, um, a live-work situation is, is a much more kind of harkening back to you know, 100 years ago when, when you, you lived above the shop, right? Yeah. So the shop maker has the thing, you know, he's got his place on the ground floor and he's got his studio apartment above. And so we're, we're designing those in new buildings. The idea being that, you know, it, what if somebody does have a small legal practice or a tax practice or is a seamstress and makes flags, what, you know, whatever. The idea that you could have a storefront along a, a, a street and, and have you know, access, pedestrians can walk by, people can come visit you, and you go up and you have a bedroom upstairs. It's, it's a great idea, but it's being reinvigorated in, in mixed-use multifamily now. Yeah. You know, um, when we're looking at headlines, they seem to kind of yo-yo back and forth, right? It seemed like three years ago, everyone was talking about ultra-dense, high-tech, smart cities. Everyone was going to live and work in the same spot. And then over the past couple of years, we saw headlines about Zoom towns and people were gonna live further away because they could afford a place and they only had to come into the office maybe once a week. Um, how do you see places that don't kind of maybe try to keep up with headlines, but how do you create spaces that endure, that maybe speak to the vision we have now and you know provide the amenities and the design that, that folks are looking for now, but also endure and don't just become the flashy or, you know, oh, no one uses that room anymore. I, I, I think it's all about community and thinking about spaces for community. We had this discussion on office a little while ago where is office going to come back? What's going to happen? We as human beings want to be around each other. We don't want to be isolated in rooms. That, I mean, it was horrible to have to be at home during you know the height of COVID and and sit in my office by myself trying to do architecture it was it was just you know I wanted to be around people and and so I think we as people like I said want to be around each other whether that's in an office space or whether that's in a space where we live we want to be able to commune and and so thinking about enduring spaces is is where what are spaces that are going to have people desiring to be together Amenity spaces at a, at a multifamily building is a prime example of creating spaces that are comfortable, that are bright, that are warm and inviting, and that allow for people to gather in a very comfortable way is, is, is an ideal. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that, James, kind of the, the planning of the area around and surrounding the building also matters, right? It, it definitely yeah. does. Context is important to that. I, I think, too, just a, a general design truth is that we practice at Corgan a lot is Spend the money of your client well, meaning mm -hmm. you don't necessarily want to spread what you have around, the resources all over the project at a lukewarm level. You really want to pick your moments, pick your spaces, and that may be about the arrival sequence, but also spending a little extra care to get the proportions, the rhythm, the finishes of key spaces right, so they'll, they'll endure. And uh, even the finishes, maybe the, maybe the least important part of that. It's important to get the right finishes, but if you're talking about an enduring space, that can be 
uh, rehabilitated, you know, re-updated re every 10 years or so, um, just having the good bones to begin with. And that starts with just really good planning. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter if it's multifamily or single-family developments. It seems like there's always everyone always knows of like that one neighborhood or that one building that was gonna that was gonna be something right and this whole neighborhood was gonna take off and everyone was moving there and, and maybe it didn't pan out the way that people had originally thought it would why do you think that happens sometimes there's there's some kind of missing ingredient that in, 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 in an area that doesn't evolve or doesn't really explode the way that you're describing there's that missing ingredient and it's sometimes intangible and hard to, to identify but it, it goes back to, I think, the idea of when you walk into a room, you either feel great, you, you don't care, or you feel, ooh. And, and knowing a space and trying to create spaces that when you walk into them or you arrive at a place, creating something that's warm and inviting is, is I think, what helps success for those types of neighborhoods and or buildings. But there's, and, and I, I don't know we like to say that there's, there's this magic bad thing don't do. Yeah. But I think, you know, buildings or neighborhoods or, or towns it, it can have a bad vibe or can have poor execution or poor design. And I, I was recently visiting um, a family member and I accidentally went to his old address. So we're supposed to go to the new address. We typed in the wrong one. And he's moved quite a lot of in the last you know, 10 years, several houses. Anyway, went to a neighborhood that was supposed to be this hot up and coming neighborhood. It was near the lake, it was gonna be fantastic. And I drove to his old house and I looked around and I, re I realized he didn't live there. And it was, it was kind of a depressing sight. And it was one of those areas that had not blossomed the way that we thought. You know, there was a big house, low entry point for, for being able to buy a five bedroom home. And for whatever reason, the neighborhood never took off, it, whether it was because it was near the lake and it was a dead end, it didn't have good circulation, there wasn't good uh, ability to, to travel around to, to other uh, stores, shops sure. and everything else. I don't know, but mm -hmm. that was a prime example of, of what you're talking about is sometimes we have this vision of what it's gonna be great and it just doesn't materialize. And, I'm sure it happens in, in downtown buildings too, but. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's plenty of stories just like that, I think. You know, you think of it like, a, like an anchor tenant in a retail strip center. If the anchor tenant's not there, mm. sometimes it's hard to keep the rest of those businesses that typically would follow that anchor tenant. You know, you put an XYZ store and it's gonna have certain ones flanking both sides and you always know you're gonna find those, right? There's those kind of symbiotic relationships. We're going back to the um, mixed use master planning, same kind of thing. Our most savvy clients, our most savvy land developers, are looking at these developments and these large tracts of lands they acquire or accumulate for a period of time and think about how they're gonna deliver those products and how we can play a role as their architect to develop these different portions. So they may come in and do a large single family home development, but they're thinking of a much more diverse portfolio for that site, but it's gonna have the strip center points, it's gonna have uh, retail, it's gonna have office perhaps. I mean, you look at those really successful ones, they didn't happen by accident, you know. I mean, we get to play the role often in the master planning and the architecture, so it's it's a it's a great opportunity. But I think that that can be sometimes what happens is you see some of these developments where someone had just some developer or or client might have had just enough resources to to plant a flag, but didn't have enough vision to see how that might succeed. And sometimes they do succeed because the quality of what the product they provide is is good enough to elevate and draw in uh, additional resources to the area. But sometimes not. If you if you go in and you put a a bare bones um, development, you know, a garden style apartment with no real amenities, 
it, and it has nothing to to build momentum with it it very well just die on the spot that's a great point you you mentioned you know the master plan uh, developers and having good vision and what we're seeing now is it's it's a complete mix of housing types mm -hmm. right so they do d develop a small single family community and you've got you know nice homes but then they're starting to to taper um, and put in townhomes um, that are a little denser but not still apartment and then far farther away multifamily components so you start to get a mix of all the and it creates neighborhoods yeah. and it creates diversity yeah. and it creates a blend of people and to the retail then you've got a blend of users that are coming in it makes for a much more dynamic mixed-use environment versus just single-family or just yeah. you know a rat product out in the suburbs yeah yeah I mean, one of our our most successful um, new urbanist developments that we've been part of uh, is with the city line development in Richardson right at the border of Plano and Richardson um, George Bush and, and 75 and it's been very successful because it had that that planning that, that diversity it had it had a rail stop so I mean the dart line actually goes there and while you know there may be a lot of people driving inherently in that area having that dart is another amenity to put to that that area and what's what's interesting about those kind of projects is um, you know they start with a piece of paper and a plan right but they turn into they turn into whole new townships almost of themselves there are people who live there in the different multifamily type products who I mean there's townhouses there there's there's rat products there's podium product and they may work in the offices there. They may shop at the grocery store that's there. And it's, it's an interesting opportunity for us to, to be involved in those projects, but to learn from those projects. Because I think right now, we're probably involved in at least five, maybe six, these large 100, 200 acre plus master plan developments. And these are all places that are going to become people's homes, their neighborhoods, their lives, their identity is going to be tied to this. So it's, it's an interesting challenge to, to think ahead for us about what are these amenities and what are these planning exercises that we need to do sure. to create these timeless places. So, you know, we've talked a lot about different dreams and visions, whether it's the person living there or maybe even the developer. You can't open up a website or a newspaper without reading about the cost of living now. Um, how do you think this is going to affect the way that we look at and develop multifamily? It's an interesting question. Uh, several years ago, I want to say 2019, the city of Dallas introducing, introduced a mixed income housing ordinance. It's a mouthful to say. Um, but the idea being that if a developer wants to go and take a piece of land and get new entitlements and, and increase density, they can if they uh, offer up affordable housing at different percentages. So, for example, in the city of Dallas, and I'm just using that because it's local and, 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 and near to us, the city of Dallas has an MF2 designation, which is a multifamily two um, designation. It allows up to 36 feet in height. Most townhomes across the city of Dallas are built in MF2 zoning. Um, you know, three stories, maybe a rooftop. Um, it's where I live. Yeah, and, and it, it's a great product, and they're all over uh, the city of, of Dallas and, and the DFW area. Um, but within the city, the city said, if you take a mixed, you, I mean, a, an MF2 site will allow you to go higher and denser if you offer 5, 10, or 15% of those units at a market, at a, not, it's not market rate, I, for, I forget the exact term. Basically, it's at, an, at a, a, a lower income sure. for, for, um, for uh, people to live at. Sorry. Right. So 
what, what we're able to do then is go from 36 feet to 85 feet, all the way, up, I mean, to 55 feet, all the way up to 85 feet. And at 85 feet, if you offer 15% of the units within the building to a uh, low-income housing, then great, you get this mass density, developers can get more, more product. It is a percentage of market rate that is offered up, and it typically is geared towards educators, police, fire, you know, the, the, the people who are doing the work in our city. And it's a great program. Yeah. The people you need to live there. Absolutely. For it to be a real community. Right. For it to be really sustainable. I, I want to mention this is that we talked about the, the stigma of multifamily or the, or, and not just for having it in your neighborhood, but if you're actually living there, you know, do you want to share that you live in a multifamily? And I think that that model has changed dramatically. When you look at yeah. the cost of housing and you look at what it takes to own and operate a home and pay taxes on a home and even get the, the loan to begin with. Oh my gosh, and the down payment that you save up for. That you need. And, and you look at where interest rates are headed and you look at a generational shift that is happening. Um, there is a large desire to be in a, in a for rent place with the yeah. amenities it offers. I mean, I know moving out of a class A luxury multifamily into my own townhouse, I gave up having a pool. I gave up having a weight room. I gave up all these things. Right. And I was aware of it, but it really started to hurt after the first six months when I didn't have all these amenities. It's really funny. A lot of the times when we start a project, um, we'll, we'll start the design process. But the goal at, at, in the back of our minds the whole time is we don't want to just design a multifamily building where people can go live. We want to design something where they want to live, where they want to come home. Not, you know, at the end of the day, you, you're packing up your stuff, throwing in your backpack on to walk out of the office. You don't want to have someone say, oh, yeah, I got to go home. You want them to say, I get to go home because they live in a great place and they really enjoy where they live. And, you know, the goal and the desire, and we can talk about amenities in a minute because I think that is, is part of what I'm about to say is the, the goal at when we, we start, you know, the design process is, you want to have something where if a guy lives in a place, all his buddies want to go over to his place because it's the cool place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so there is this, there is a bit of a competition when you start talking about multifamily within, you know, we'll say within the loop um, of who has the best amenities, what's the coolest place, what, you know, whose pools is, is the best. I, I was working at a project in, in Phoenix a while ago, and that market and the outdoors, the pools are everything. So the next thing, the next evolution for amenities is how great of a, it, it is like a resort at a lot of these yeah. places. It's well, amazing. Yeah. That's how the pool, my old complex was. And it was a multi-building complex downtown. So when they, when they added on to it, I was in one of the adaptive reuse products, which actually a Corkin project for 99. Nice. Um, they added a big at ground luxury resort style pool with waterfalls and features and cabanas. And it was, we, we went to that pool every Saturday. That's great. <laughs> we always were there. You just reminded me, I, I didn't know this when I started at Corrigan, but my, my first apartment downtown that I lived in before I you know, was married uh, was a Corrigan project. Excellent. So it's kind of cool. It all comes full circle. Yeah. yeah. I think I've lived in three Corrigan multifamily projects That's over one. the years. About one. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about amenities for the residents inside. Um, and part of what you mentioned earlier, Stephen, about what makes these neighborhoods or developments successful is the idea of community. Oh. Um, I used to live in San Francisco, and one of um, the apartment buildings nearby was primarily for seniors. But they had a library for kids to come in because they understood the benefit of putting seniors 
near near children. And I thought it was just so magical to to see that story come to life every day. Um, but when we talk about the success of these buildings, how do they open themselves up to the fabric of the neighborhood around it? One of the things that we've been doing lately uh, is historically a wrap project. You know, it's the parking garage and you line units around and then you do a, a, a donut. And so you create this what central amenity space. And it's great for the people who are in the core and are looking down on the pool, except they don't get to see anything of the surrounding neighborhood. And so a process that we've kind of started looking at is what happens if we don't connect those donuts? What if we don't confine the amenity space to just the, the, the uh, complex, what happens if we open them up a little bit and start doing U-shapes and C-shapes and T-shapes and L-shapes and things that allow more natural light to come in, actual airflow to come in, but it also allows, especially in a podium type deal, um, it allows the street to interact with that, that podium above and that, yeah. that amenity deck and the people on the yeah. amenity deck can look down at the street and there's this kind of N not direct interaction, but you know something's going on up on the podium. And from the podium, you get to look down and see the street life, and it makes for such more vibrant energy within the, the, the complex. Right. I love that study. And I, and I know we, we've been working on some opportunities that, that take advantage of that. And especially on the master planning side, when we're able to engage and perhaps um, interject public space adjacent to that, mm -hmm. park space, community space, or even doubles down on that planning exercise to really open that space up and make it an amenity. And it also just serves to create a sense of arrival again, too. But it's that point where you say, that's how I want to go into the building, perhaps. And uh, that's what we want that identity. I mean, because these this is our home, the people who live in these places, and it is their identity. It's such a big part of it. Yeah, I just remembered another thing that, that's really fun that we, we looked at recently on a project here was uh, opening up a couple floors uh, to create sky bridges. But so we do have a donut, but the donut's open at an end so that you get sight lines to, to downtown and you get airflow, like I said. And it little weird things like that, that we can make slight changes. The developer may lose a few units, but the experience and the, the um, feeling that you get in a great communal space, it, it's worth the trade-off. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was saying that um, over the pandemic, we all had these front lawn parties, right? We all yeah. got together in our front yards. <laughs> and there was this wonderful sense of connectivity that we got. And I think that this is this idea of putting eyes back on the street and feeling connected to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, gosh, I could go off for, for hours on this. But, you know, in the 1950s, we were sold this dream. You know, Levittown's a great example um, of the single family home out in the suburbs with your own private little backyard. And so we all did that. We all had homes, we as a society. Um, and we all went into our backyards and we you know, were individual little, little units. And I think there's a huge shift that, is, that has been happening. And even in single family homes, like you said, during the pandemic, my street was a perfect example. Everybody started sitting out in the front yards because you wanted to see somebody. No, you wanted no. to say hi. And we couldn't really say hi because we had to be away from each other, but we could see each other across the street. And you know, I, I think at one point there were seven fire pits along <laughs> our little <laughs> section of the street. And so people could sit out front and no. hang out. And no. eyes on the street is such a valuable concept. So years ago, and if you think about a brownstone in New York and people sitting out and, and walking out to the front of their house and engaging the street, it kept things safer. And you think about um, you know, communities and small towns where 
the grandmas sit on the front porch and they watch the kids play, but the grandmas also know who's driving down the street that shouldn't be driving down the street. Yeah. And mm -hmm. they all talk. And so eyes on the street is a great thing for you, you know, community residents to be able to take care of each other. And rent, you know, renters may not be staying in the same uh, community as long, but renters as a whole are staying longer in a renting model. Mm -hmm. And I think that also has an impact on this is that there is a little bit more investment in who your neighbors, and again, that ownership of where you are. It's a pride of ownership. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even though you don't own, you're still prideful of where you live and you want it to be yeah. nice and you want to take care of it. And you're right, it's not a, you know, again, we've got this this stigma attached to multifamily. There are people who live in, in places downtown or or in uptown or, or even out in the suburbs that stay in the same apartment for three, four, five years sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And they want it to be nice and they don't want it to be run down and they don't want somebody next to them, you know, trashing the place, yeah, if you exactly, will. Exactly, exactly. So certainly a complex issue, but an exciting one. Sure. Um, what are you guys most excited about for multifamily and mixed-use developments? I'm just excited about all the opportunities that we have in front of us right now and how we can grow our practice, not just to the DFW area, but become established in, in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, move on to other cities. There's so many vibrant cities right now across the United States where housing is just blowing up. If we talk about Atlanta, Nashville, uh, Dallas, Austin, Phoenix, Denver, these are all great communities, great vibrant cities. And eventually, we'd love to be able to branch out into all those areas. Yeah, yeah. I think what I'm most interested in is it's a similar thing, is that all this opportunity has brought a lot of density into these cities, right? And a lot of new ground-up multifamily in more of the urban core of our cities. And what comes with that is a diversity of product type and style. Stylistically, what is the architecture leaning into? You, you asked a question earlier about you know, the neighborhood and the, the, how do you monetize the neighborhood or how do you, how do you lean into that? And I think you know, one of the things we do early on in the start of a project is our visioning session, right? Where does this project want to be? Mm -hmm. Not just programmatically, but um, aesthetically and emotionally. What do we want to evoke from people? What kind of delight do we want to bring? And knowing the different neighborhoods of Dallas and leaning into their history, kind of un uncovering that a little bit more and trying to, try to put some more ownership for future residents by knowing they're part of a certain neighborhood is a lot of fun. So, you know, we have products in Deep Ellum, we're working on Farmer's Market, other places that we're trying to find, you know, what is the identity of that neighborhood and what are the stylistical, stylistic things from there that we can bring and, and really lean into in our, in our architecture. And I love that that's that range of diversity that we're Boy, seeing in that. And also, you, anything that we're designing, what is the context that we're designing yeah. within? Yeah. You know, let's analyze where this building's going to be and be respectful or, or or, or completely brash yeah. about how we're going to design based on the program and the needs. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great opportunity uh, when you, you, know, you have these infill projects to be able to look around and say, okay, this is all here. How do we, how do we fit into that, into that core? Yeah. And yet differentiate ourselves right, to right. stand out. Why do we want to stay here and, versus and there? The one thing I want to say too is, James mentioned the fact that we have you know, different buildings in different areas. And first and foremost, this is about design. This is all about designing something that's well thought out, that we all can be proud of at the end of the day, and that the people who are developing can be proud of, and the people who live there can be proud of. And that, that's an often you know, quite a big challenge, but I think one of the things that gets us up in the morning and has us come to work and excited about what we're doing. Yeah, I think there are a few things that are as influential in how a area or a neighborhood or a city develops than where you live and where all the and how these people feel about where they live too. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you both. Absolutely. And thanks to you. We'll catch you on the next episode of The Square. Thank you.